Future trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities. Hello, and welcome to Parlor to Plate, a weekly podcast from Everag Insights dedicated to offering listeners enlightening discussion and actionable intelligence about dairy markets. I'm your host, Erica Medke. If you've not heard this podcast before, join the club. It's relatively new to the Everag Insights lineup, and we're excited to have you along for the ride. If you like what you hear, please like us, subscribe, and tell a friend or two. First things first, let's timestamp the episode. It is Wednesday, March 8th, around 1 o'clock Central Standard Time. Here's a quick rundown of the dairy markets. CME block cheddar today at a 179.75. We are down more than a dime on the week. Barrels just under 170 at a 169.75, gaining almost 15 cents since our last recording. Whey at 44 cents, down a penny. Butter, 233, losing a nickel on the week. Nonfat dry milk at a 116.5, down about a penny. Today, grains, our nearby corn is trading at 635 per bushel, down 7 cents on the day. And nearby soybeans at 15 and a quarter per bushel, up 2 cents. So we are very lucky today to have another all-star cast from around the country. Leading off today will be Shelby Myers, Ever Ag's Director of Grain Intelligence from Central Indiana, Kathleen Wolfley, our agent broker from Western New York, and rounding out the cast, Brian Fletcher, the Vice President of Risk Management based in our Chicago office. So usually we start off with what's the buzz? So Shelby, today was a WASD day. What's the buzz? Hey, Erica, thanks for having me. Buzz today is that what's typically a lackluster sleeper report had a lot to say for corn and soybeans. Uh, we'll start with corn. We've been watching that current price of corn linger around 634 and really keeping an eye on export activity. It would appear as though USDA was doing the same. The adjustment for corn exports today was lowered by 75 million bushels for USDA's estimate, really due to the poor pace of sales and shipments that we've seen to date. Something that we've been keeping an eye on here at EverAg as well is that pace of exports, particularly because as we watch exports, the end user has to find that value. And if demand improves, that typically is going to increase the price of corn. However, if we don't see as much global demand for U.S. corn, the slower pace will decrease the price of corn. We're also watching the U.S. dollar in its relationship to exports because as the U.S. dollar weakens, exports become cheaper. But if the U.S. dollar strengthens, our U.S. exports become more expensive and our global buyers will turn to our competition. On the soybean side, we've certainly been watching exports as well. USDA increased exports by 25 million bushels to just over 2 billion bushel estimate. Uh, but they also lowered the U.S. soy crush number, which did not quite offset the increase in demand. But we didn't see a change to the average farm price of soybeans. And so ending stocks weren't changed as significantly for soybeans as they were for corn, but still in some of our expected ranges. Thanks for the insight, Shelby. Kathleen, what's the buzz in New York these days? Hey, Erica, I am buzzing about farm profitability. So for those that watch the markets really closely, sometimes it's tough to remember that lower prices on the board don't immediately translate into lower milk prices at the farm. But with February final milk checks rolling 
out to the dairies probably within the next week or so, producers are going to start to see some of those weaker numbers that we've been keeping an eye on. So to put that into context, February's class three price fell below $18 per hundredweight. And that's the first time that we've seen those USDA class three values below $18 since October 2021. It's a similarly weak story in the class four space as well. So given the expectation for softer milk prices for perhaps the next couple months, feed prices that are sitting at historically elevated levels, I suspect that we're probably going to start to hear a lot more about financial stress at the farm level in the next couple months. But zooming out and thinking about the potential for tighter margins to impact milk production, I'll add that it always takes longer than we think to see tighter milk margins influence the trajectory of milk production. Good insights, Kathleen. We will get to more of that in center of the plate. Fletch, what's the buzz in Chicago these days? The buzz in Chicago, Erica, is how much different the market is this time versus this time last year. When we're looking at the entire landscape of the market, the common theme that we're seeing is very cheap milk, very cheap cream, not in every part of the country, but in several parts of the country. And that relative to last March is completely different circumstance. So as we're navigating that, you know, it's how from a commercial perspective, how to take advantage of that and what's the best thing to do with the more milk that's available today. Thanks, Fletch, for those insights. Now let's move on to the center of the plate. So today, in addition to WASDI getting published, we also had trade statistics come out for the United States and the rest of the world. Kathleen, you want to start off with what those numbers look like, especially in the butter space? Hey, Erica, that's a great question. We've been talking a lot in the last couple months about the potential for butter imports and AMF imports to balloon as we got into 2023. And that is certainly what we saw from the data for January. The data suggests that U.S. imported almost 9 million pounds of butter during the month of January, which was up 37% year over year. Digging into the data a little bit more, it looks like a big chunk of that came from Ireland. And seeing some pretty significant growth in how much we brought in from New Zealand as well. Similar story on the anhydrous milk fat or the AMF side of things, imported 4.7 million pounds during the month of January, which was up 92% year over year. Vast majority of that increase from January of 2022 came out of New Zealand, but saw also some notable increases out of Mexico as well as India. Fletch, has the market responded to this information today? Erica, in general, if, if we look at most dairy products since the beginning of the year has is, is kind of been a grind lower, uh, specifically on butter where you know, we've been at least the first couple months right around that 240 area. And recently, as we've seen, you know, cream prices still trading at lower or distress levels, especially out west, we've seen that 240 area, you know, the prices come down below that. So I, I'd say in general, yes, the market has been responding to it. But Kathleen pointed out, we're looking at January data. So I think the imports are definitely having an impact on the market. And so we'll see. I, it'll be interesting to see how long that persists. But I would imagine it's it's not a month one month wonder here that we're talking about. That's a good reminder, Fletch, that we're looking in the rearview mirror with the trade statistics. Now, Kathleen, do you have a sense for looking in the windshield, looking ahead for producers, what this means? 
I guess from my perspective, Erica and, and Fletch, I'll be curious in your thoughts, but the cheese export numbers showed still pretty strong cheese exports during the month of January up 16% year over year with 75 million pounds exported. It seems like the story has changed a little bit, right, Fletch? Yeah, uh, definitely. So that really carries off of a banner year of exports in the cheese market with 2022. So it's really continuing the story that the U.S. had a massive year. I would not be surprised to see those types of numbers start to shift for the more negative growth than what we're seeing now. And it doesn't mean that growth will go away, but we're, you know, over the month of January, that's where we started to see a lot more competition come come into the marketplace, most notably from Europe. You know, as the U.S. had probably solidified exports well before January to, to actually book and, and move those deals, it was really once we moved into the first quarter that we saw some extremely competitive pricing coming out of Europe specifically in the mozzarella and also Gouda categories. Because once you dissect the trade data, a lot of that cheese growth is coming from either fresh cheese or cheese including mixtures, each of which are mozzarella type cheese. So seeing the mozzarella prices in Europe trade sub $1.50, that move lower took place in January. So I would imagine you know, as we move on throughout February, March, and even into the second quarter, I'm not going to bet on it, but I wouldn't be surprised that, you know, to see those export figures start to slip a little bit. I think that the discussion around exports or trade in general is a really good reminder that we are an increasingly globalized market in, in the dairy industry. And the expectation for lighter exports means that product, whether it's cheese or non-fat dry milk or butter, is going to be looking for or could potentially be looking for new outlets here in the domestic market and ultimately could weigh on prices. Good insight, Kathleen. Shelby, can you chime in a little bit about South America? Because I know that really impacts a lot for domestic producers here as they're thinking about planting and their intentions for corn or soybeans. Wazdi had some, some big changes, especially for Argentina, right? Yeah. And to Kathleen and Fletch's point, you know, trade all around agriculture has been big. And I think everybody's starting to prepare for what the year after a record year looks like. And grains are no different from that. And especially for what the U.S. does to react to what's happening in the global space, particularly what is going on in Brazil and Argentina, is going to be a really big factor for that. So Brazil corn and soybean production have been unchanged month over month for the last three months in the WASDI. And that's a really big deal because Brazil is now on track to not only have record corn and soybean production, which will increase global supply. But Brazil also just recently has been pushed ahead of the U.S. to be the top corn exporter in the globe if they were to come to fruition with the estimate that USDA has them pegged at. What that means for U.S. crop producers is that we now have to react to the global supply increase. And whether or not that means that we increase supply here in the U.S. to capture higher prices, or we see a shift in planted acres, as you alluded to, either corn 
corn to soybeans or corn to cotton in the South, or even a change to wheat to offset any kind of wheat deficits we see out of Ukraine and Russia will certainly be something we keep an eye on through March Perspective Planting Survey right now. The big storyline has really been Argentina because they've had the drought and we've continued to see estimates out of Argentina being cut. So for March, USDA did a huge cut moving from 47 million metric tons of corn production to 40 million metric tons. And that was lower than the expected range that the markets even thought they were going to do. So big move by USDA there. And then for soybean production, on the lower end of the expected range, pegged Argentina soybean production at 33 million metric tons, which is down from 41 million this past month. We continue to see those supplies being cut, which provides the opportunity for the U.S. to come into that global space. But again, if the U.S. dollar is not in favor of global purchases, that will certainly influence the price there. Well, thank you, team, for your insights. Let's aim at wrapping this up. So I'm going to ask everybody, what are you doing to help your clients? So Kathleen, what are you doing right now with producers to help them? So going back to what I mentioned earlier around, it always takes longer than we think to see a change in trajectory and milk supply depending on farm margins. I've been encouraging my folks to sharpen their pencil a little bit more on second half coverage, particularly looking at products like the Dairy Revenue Protection Insurance Program where they can set a floor, enjoy any upside if prices do go higher. But I'm a little bit more concerned as it sits today that we may not slow the roll on milk production as quickly as initially anticipated. Ryan, what are you doing with your clients on the commercial space? Well, we, you know, we are alluding to more milk solids of some sort coming into the U.S., but I would say from a manufacturer's perspective within the U.S., the cheaper available supplies actually create a lot of optionality from a manufacturer's perspective. And so right now, for example, if you're a butter manufacturer, absolutely take advantage of the cheap cream available. You might be looking at today's spot price of butter and saying that price relative to forward prices, there's not a huge margin there. But I have to remind people we're looking at implied potential profit margins here. This same exact time last year, we're looking at if you're carrying butter of any sort, you're talking minus 35 or minus 40 cents. So relative to where we were, there's a lot of opportunities to be manufacturing products, storing them and not taking risk associated with that. So from my standpoint, it's really taking risk off the table. And luckily, from a manufacturer perspective, if you're doing it, you know, there are ways where there are potential margins on the table. Shelby, how are you helping people with the grain space? For a lot of our grain clients, this is a really big time of the year because we're settling down on crop insurance products and selecting the product that is going to be set up for the year. And in particular, the way that future prices are looking, that harvest price option is not going to be one that's favorable for grain clients. So it's really taking advantage of other risk management tools available like grain marketing plans to help position so that you pick the right crop insurance product that Uh, fits the margin well, and then put in price protection throughout your marketing plan to take advantage of moves in the market as we see them going lower throughout the year. To wrap things up today, a big thank you to Shelby, Kathleen, and Brian for joining me. Great contributions to the buzz and to the center of the plate. Appreciate you being here and sharing your insights. 
Thank you, as always, to our media team. With Paige being out, Corey and Tara are stepping in. Thank you to the listeners for joining us today. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite app. And if you'd like to learn more about how we help people manage risk and our day jobs, contact us at insights at ever.ag.